Welcome to the Redshirt Collective, a Star Trek watch-along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective. So energized with Earl Grey tea and chocolate from The Replicator, set your phasers to fun, and prepare to engage. Ready, Captain? Yes, Captain. Make, Make it, it so. so. Welcome aboard. Hey, Nick. Hey, Mike. So uh, what are we talking about today? Ooh, we got a big one today. We're talking about season one, episode three, Code of Honor, mm. the one in which Star Trek does a racism. This is going to be a dense one. So everyone strap in for what is purported to be the worst Star Trek episode ever. We meet back up with the crew of the Enterprise hovering just outside of Ligon 2, a primitive planet that somehow houses the only vaccine mm. for the Ankili fever raging on Sirius 4. So they have a vaccine, not a plant or a flower or an herb that is needed for the vaccine. Somehow they have the vaccine itself for a disease on an entirely different planet, and yet they're also somehow a sort of primitive planet. Yeah, we're already off to a bad start. <laughs> we're yeah, already this is off not going well. To a very bad start. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, the Enterprise has been tasked with getting this vaccine in order to save thousands of lives as Picard, Riker, Troy, and Yar go to greet the Lagonian leadership in Cargo Bay 1. Riker and Troy inform Picard that the Lagonians are a closely humanoid race with similarities to human culture and are a proud and highly structured society. Spoiler alert, I think we're coming back to that. <laughs> yes, uh, we'll be coming back to all of all this. Of it, all of it. <laughs> Uh, I thought this was going to be a short episode because I'm like, it's just racist and bad. But I realized I want to talk about everything. So uh -huh. buckle in. All right. So we are then greeted to the first viewing of the Lagonians who are played by an all black cast. Specifically, it seems African American actors and are dressed in a very stereotypical version of African garb and all have, I believe, East African accents. And so the racism begins. Uh -huh. The leader, Lutan, has a red carpet rolled out for him as he gets off the turbo lift. He introduces himself and his second in command. Do you remember how to pronounce this? Hag I think it's Hagon. Hagon? It's Hagon, Hagon, right? Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. <clears throat> that sounds better than whatever I was just trying to do. <laughs> um, so he introduces his second in command, Hagon, to Picard, who then in turn introduces his crew to Lutan. Lutan. Lutan is immediately intrigued that a woman, a whoa man, is the security <laughs> officer. And, and so it begins. Hagon then approaches Picard with a sample of the vaccine, and for some reason he does not listen to Yar when she tells him to wait to let her check the vaccine, so she comically overreacts, as security officers are wont to do on the Enterprise, mm. and flips him over in response. In, in a classic Power Rangers move, might I add. I think it was very, <laughs> yes. that was very Power Rangers-esque. It wasn't even a cool move. It no. was very, like, Saturday morning cartoon kind yeah. of move. I, I, that's probably why uh. she left the show, honestly. It was because they made her yes. do that, that scene. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't blame her one bit. Uh -huh. So in typical display of how ludicrously written she is, Troy uses her counselor expertise 
to advise Picard to not apologize for Yar's dude flipping as it will be interpreted as weakness by their macho guest. Oh my. Picard oh. inexplicably decides that this means acting cheerful and as if Hagon isn't still on his ass, so he thanks <sighs> Luton and invites him to stay to be entertained. As you do. <laughs> as you do, yeah. you know. Uh, Luton, who seems to get a chubby at Yar's display of strength, conspiratorially tells Hagon, as the Enterprise crew are leaving, that Yar might just be what he needs. Which, which, by the way, they never really circle back to what that's supposed to mean. I figured it out after, like, the third viewing, which oh, I will yeah? talk about. But, yeah, I okay, realized, okay. like, they never made it clear. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I have so much to say. Let's okay, get okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So in the observation lounge, Picard presents Lutan with a 13th century statue of a horse from China's Sung Dynasty as a gift of gratitude and friendship. More mm-hmm. on that later. Yeah, because uh, that totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we discover from Lutan that on Ligon, too, the women all own the land and wealth, but are otherwise subservient to the men. And Lutan frames this as like, women are useless besides... Their land and wealth. And yet somehow still Star Trek is trying to like use this as a way of showing how progressive this planet is. Like this is like the the subtle (laughs) message I feel like. It's like, wow, look, it's so it's so progressive. The women own the land. Yeah. Well, we definitely get some girl boss moments later in the episode. Uh, uh, Right. (laughs) So they're definitely trying to have their cake and eat it too here. They're trying to have their racism with some sexist frosting. Or I yes, guess some, yes, some white feminist frosting. And, you uh-huh. know, that is a dessert that we are served very often in media. So This is correct. Sometimes, mm-hmm. maybe it's comforting how little things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not comforting. No, not at all. So after this, uh, Lutan asks to see the holodeck and specifically requests a demonstration from Yar. She shows him an Aikido training holo program, which gives Lutan another chubby. They return to the cargo bay and prepare to leave, but as Lutan goes to shake Yar's hand, he instead grabs her and beams her back down the Ligon with his crew. Picard orders a red alert. I mean, we're coming back to this, just don't, so yeah. don't worry, everyone. <laughs> exactly. This, this will be discussed. <clears throat> yeah, we're not, we're not uh, glazing over any of this stuff. No. <sighs> so Picard, because <laughs> that's what I was thinking, I was just going to be like, this is racist and poorly written. But then I was like, no, I need to talk about it. I have all of these things. I have these giant yep. notes. Yep. All right. So Picard tries to contact Lutan with no success and then orders Riker to fire a display blast of photon torpedoes a thousand meters above the planet's surface, which that's just annoying. Yeah. But anyway, but still no response from Lutan. Troy tells Picard. <laughs> did, did, did you ever see the series Big Mouth on Netflix? I actually never watched it. Oh, Okay. It's just, there's just this, there's just this line of like toxic masculinity in there that is, you know, very much mocking. We're like, mm-hmm. big dick club. <laughs> Every time somebody, and I, that was all I could think of where they're like, fire the photon torpedoes. Big yeah. dick club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. <laughs> that is exactly, exactly what was going on there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Troy tells Picard that all of the Lagonians were attracted to and turned on by Lieutenant Yar, but oh, from Luton, she also sensed ambition and avarice. 
<sighs> Data advises that the Lagonians value patience, so perhaps Picard should just sit around and wait, which he for some reason agrees to do. Yeah, good plan. Good plan. Great plan. The next day, Dr. Crusher comes into Picard's ready room and tells Picard that though somehow the vaccine was able to be beamed aboard, it is not able to be replicated and only the original vaccine from the planet will work, increasing pressure on Picard to settle this kidnapped security officer matter with Luton agreeably. Mm. Bev then annoyingly informs Picard that Wesley really, really wants to be on the bridge, and Picard goes out to find Wesley lurking like a little weirdo on the turbo lift. Picard gruffly lets Wesley onto the bridge and orders him to take up an op operations officer station temporarily. The crew can't believe their ears. A child on the bridge? Wesley happily takes a seat next to Jordy, officially kicking off everyone's hatred of him as the most special boy in space. And kind of like inexplicably. Yes. Like, like why did we write this into this episode? It was, anyway. yeah, it made no sense whatsoever. And to give people who hate Wesley Crusher a tad bit of credit, I do understand, like, this is very annoying. It's very annoying that Beverly keeps using her relationship to Picard to, like, foist Wesley on the bridge when he is a kid. You know, it just, I, I do get that that is frustrating because it was an annoying scene. Note it down, everyone, timestamp. This will be the first and only time that Nick will say anything even remotely negative about our special boy, Wesley Crusher. Because <laughs> he is the most special boy in space. <laughs> he is. He is. <laughs> And and if you do, and if you disagree with that, you can just like you can just stop right here. Yeah, you can go just no go further. away, unsubscribe, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> leave us a bad review. I don't care, but that's my baby boy. Send complaints to <clears throat> sauce.seth at gmail.com. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> In discussing the incident at hand, Data says the Lagonians live by a strict code of honor and compares. Uh, I don't even I, want to read this. Right? Can, I know. I <laughs> compares know. the actions of Luton to a Native American tradition called counting coup. He does not specify which nation this tradition comes from, but hey, why stop at anti-black stereotypes when you can sneak in some anti-indigenous sentiment as well? <sighs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Um, counting coup is described as, I forgot to look this up, but he basically describes it as like a warrior doing... Uh, a, like stealing something of great value to an enemy and bringing it back to his village to get like a lot of recognition and prestige. Mm -hmm. So he theorizes that since Yar is their security officer, she was the riskiest target to capture and thus carried the most prestige. So this actually ends up not even being true at all as well, which I'll explain mm -hmm. later, like what I finally figured out was the whole plot line here. But this assertion, it just ends up being more, not just racist, but also like just needless and not even relevant to the plot, which is yep. a lot of things in this episode. So Riker begrudgingly lets Picard go down to Ligon on his own after learning that according to Lagonian tradition, a leader is honored, an honored guest and therefore cannot be hurt. Oh, I have so many things to say right now. I'm just dying. But but continue. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I know. I'm like, just get through it so we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Upon arrival, uh, Picard is met by Luton, Hagon, and Luton's first one, aka his first wife, Yarina. So it's Yar and <laughs> Yarina. It was a real creative day. In, yeah, in, in the they were department. firing in all cylinders when they uh, wrote this. Uh-huh. Oh, at a banquet that night, Picard makes a respectful request for Yar back, as he's been in, you know, instructed to do, but Luton refuses, claiming he's too in love and wants to take Yar as his first one, uh. there, thereby replacing Yarina. Picard and Yarina are both outraged, and Yarina challenges Yar's right to supersedence with a fight to, de- to the death. Picard initially refuses, but Luton says without a fight, there is no vaccine and no treaty. Conveniently, Riker gets a notice at this exact time that the plague on Cirrus 4 has gotten worse and now millions of lives are depending on the vaccine. Meeting back up with the crew on Ligon 2, Troy tricks Yar into saying she's attracted to Luton, although doesn't seem to have like any kind of other feelings for him, I think yeah. is what we were supposed to infer, is just that she finds him very sexually powerful. Oh my god. And this is another thing that happens for absolutely no reason. It's a weird abuse of Troy's relationship with Yar and also her station on the ship and also her powers. Um so it's just very weird and it just like isn't really relevant to anything. Yep. And I think again serves to just add to the racist context here. So it was weird. Um Picard finds out from Lutan that if Yarina dra- dies, he gets to keep Lutan gets to keep her land and money. Picard agrees to the fight and they toast. On the Enterprise, we get a Did you want to say something? No, no, I'm just, just I'm sorry. Sighing I'm, I'm sighing. I really should stop. It's going to be really annoying when you listen to this and you just hear Mike going oh, every three seconds. I mean, I love it personally. Yeah. Ugh, it's just too much. Okay. 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 We're almost done. On the Enterprise, we get a brief scene between Jordy and Data where we learn Jordy prefers shaving with an old earth razor and Data has told 662 jokes without getting a laugh. This beca- <laughs> this begins one of the absolute cringiest, worst Next Generation storylines ever, which is Data's comedy career. Mm. But, you know, more on that in later episodes. Um, there's a hilarious moment, though, when Jordy is backing away in horror as Data's aggressively coming at him, telling him a joke. Yeah, it, it really was the, the only thing worth seeing in the entire episode, was that <laughs> one really moment. Was. You could watch. You should just put the the timestamp in the show notes and be like, if you're going to watch this episode, just watch that like three second <laughs> bit. Exactly. Oh. Oh, back on Legon, we see a conversation between Yarina and Yar, where Tasha tries to talk Yarina out of this battle, but Yarina refuses to believe Yar is in it for anything but love of Luton, and she rejects the offer to walk away. Everyone is confident that Yar can win this fight, so they do some recon to figure out what weapons will be used and how the fight will work. They find out that the weapons are light and all covered in a highly toxic poison, and a plan seems to start to form amongst the crew, but we're not really in on what the plan is. Yar is given the weapon that she is to use in the fight, which is a ridiculous, unwieldy glove shaped like a giant scorpion's tail that Yar can barely keep from poking herself in the face with while she walks around with it. I mean, which, you know, is probably fine because the choreographing of that scene, <laughs> like, I, I, think they, I think they wrote that scene around the glove. 
Do you know what <laughs> I, I mean? think so too. Yes. <laughs> They're like, this glove is it? How do yeah. we make it happen? Yep. And it's like, no, that glove is not it. It's ridiculous. Yep. It's covered in spikes, all covered with this incredibly toxic, deadly poison. Mm-hmm. And it's giant. And mm-hmm. you have to hold, to keep the glove on, you have to hold it upright. So it's right near your face. Yeah. And like very easily can just bump into someone. Anyway, I just, the whole time I was so mad. I was like, this is so ridiculous. Yeah. Just the laziness of it all. Yes. Worst fight scene ever, by the way. Worst I mean, fight scene which, ever. Which is the least problematic aspect of this entire episode. <laughs> right? But I think while we're at Somehow it, Somehow the most well... infuriating. Yes. Yes. Well, and it's also infuriating because it's a ripoff of like a muck time, which was another. This is still TNG being stuck in like the original series. Yes. I was going to say pulling that. off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So we have the third episode and we're still rehashing original series content yeah i'm like where's leonard nimoy where's where's william shatner like this is not this does not belong in tng universe here no so yes we meet the ladies on the jungle gym that they'll be fighting on (laughs) and one of the worst choreographed fights i've ever seen takes place Mm -hmm. at one point Irina's glove hits an inexplicably electrified pole like why is there just this electrified pole there and shoots off her hand hitting someone in the audience and the poison kills him almost immediately right i mean that he was he was our honorary red shirt actually for this episode i don't think anyone from the away team got killed so we we had to have an honorary red shirt from the audience yeah, rip honorary red shirt because he yes. took, he took one for the team. Uh-huh. Um, so at some point, also I forgot to write this in, but I guess it is relevant to the plot. At some point, Hagon yells out Yurina's name during the fight, like yes. in you know concern and like uh-huh. support. Uh-huh. So eventually, Yar bests Yurina, hitting her with her weapon and immediately jumping on top of her as they're both beamed aboard the Enterprise. Uh-huh. Yurina technically dies, but is quickly brought back to life by Dr. Crusher, who had an antidote at the ready. Lutan, Lutan is furious to discover Yurina alive. Picard explains that their marriage dissolved upon her death, but somehow she still retains ownership of her land and wealth. Right. Like, Question mark. I, yeah, like, how does that work? Okay. <laughs> how does mind. that work? Anyway, so they foiled Lutan's plans, apparently, hooray, I guess. Yar sheepishly turns down Lutan's, Lutan's offer to be his first one because she's a career gal. And we end the ep- episode with a masterful girl boss moment in which Yurina immediately gives away all her posthumously returned money and wealth or money and land to Hagon because he yelped out her name once while she was fighting. So apparently he quote unquote cares about her. Right. Because that's the most she can aspire to is to give all of her wealth to some other. Immediately. Like, yeah. <laughs> give yes. it away yes. to someone else. Oh, you know my name. Oh, here, take everything I own. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. We're in love. Oh. Um, Lutan is kicked down to number two hubby, which makes the entire relationship structure of this culture make absolutely no sense. Mm. But Blissfully, this trash heap of an episode is finally over, so who cares? Hey y'all, Editor Nick here. So as I was going through this episode, doing final touches, getting ready to publish it, I realized that I had it in my notes, but I never actually talked in this episode about what Luton meant when he said she might be just what we need. 
I'm paraphrasing, I don't know if that was the exact quote. You may have put it together from the recap, what he meant, but it took me a few go-throughs to actually put it all together. So what I think happened was that Luton knew that he wanted to steal Yorina's wealth. I believe he knew that she would probably have to die for that to happen and perhaps had already this plot in mind that if he tried to take another wife that she would challenge that woman to a fight to the death or perhaps that plan kind of came into place when he met Tashiar. I think it's probably the latter, just my guess, um, since they seemed so amazed by this. But at the same time, they may have heard rumors that Starfleet had gender equality and that there were strong women there. He may not have known if someone was specifically in security or not. But anyway, I could see it going either way. Either this was pre-planned or this was like a moment of opportunity, but either way, once he saw Tashiar and her prowess in the holodeck uh, with her fighting skills, he realized that she would be perfect. He knew that Yorina would challenge whoever he brought back to be his first one. And with Yar, I guess he assumed that she would be able to defeat Yorina in battle. I don't know what he was thinking in the case that Yarina won the fight and Tasha died, because I feel like making an enemy of Starfleet would have been very ill-advised. <laughs> but I guess that's what we're supposed to take from his character, is that he's arrogant and cocky and probably isn't really thinking more of the potential than the consequences. Anyway, so that's what happened. He had this plan, and when he saw Tasha Yar, he realized she would be perfect for his plan. Moving on, um, I also want to interject quickly that we have done our first Captain's Log Supplemental at the end of this episode, so stay tuned after we say bye. I'm telling you this because we kind of just jumped into what we're talking about and didn't really say what we're doing. We want to include this in future episodes to have a little space that is not part of the main episode to talk to the audience directly. All right, babes, enjoy the rest of the episode. If you didn't feel physically ill after watching this episode, I'm like, are you sure you're watching? Were you on episode four instead of episode three? <laughs> right. I mean, it, it was so bad. It kind of it, it kind of felt a little bit to me like the whole team watched Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. And then they were like, guys, I think we can do worse than this. Like, I think we can up the ante for uninformed, historically illiterate, racist, <laughs> sexist. I think we can get it all in one episode, guys, if we try hard enough. And that was the <laughs> and challenge. And you know what? They did it. <clears throat> they did so, it. They did it. Kids, never let someone tell you you can't live your dream. That's because... right. That's right. <laughs> this, yeah. You know, the, the, the only problem with this ep- – not the only problem. There are a million problems. <laughs> I was like, going to say. <laughs> one, one, one of the big problems with this episode is that, like, we've just been, like, shitting on the show that we definitely love. But, like, uh, yes. but they're not making it any easier for us. I'm like, guys, right. come on. We're trying to help you out here. Like, we, I know. We want to love Star Trek. <laughs> you know, I remembered that this episode was not good, but then watching it critically to actually talk about it, I was like, wow, this yeah. episode is, like, really bad. And I don't know if this is just, like you know, I'm dating myself here, but I don't actually remember ever seeing this one in syndication. 
So yeah, I, me neither. I don't know if they decided maybe to, and again, this is not, you know, our, our expertise is not, you know, the, the trivia of the show, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I have very little recollection of this. Well, I do actually have a lot of like trivia for this one just because oh. I ended up down a massive rabbit hole looking up, you know, reactions to this episode and yeah. analyses of it. Um, but I do know that, yeah, Jonathan Frakes like has campaigned several times to get this episode pulled out of syndication. Okay. I never read that he was successful in it, but I know that it's something that he has championed for. Okay. So it's still on the streaming services, but yeah, I kind of wonder if networks were sort of like, oh, let's skip over this one. Yeah. Because this episode is like universally hated by like the cast. Gene yeah. Roddenberry was very pissed about it. There's, we'll get into that like after we <sighs> ana- analyze it, but it like restored my faith a little bit in liking the show because it was like. Because of the, the pushback. Yeah. And just the consequences that happened from the show. And yeah. Whatever. Well, should we jump right in? Yeah, let's do it. Should should we start where where the where this like shit show begins with? They are a uniquely humanoid race. Yes. <laughs> can can we just start with that? <laughs> yeah, let's start there. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there is some background here that I'll just include right now, mm-hmm. but I think it's important to know. Maybe it's interesting to know that this episode was initially scripted to be like a reptilian race Mm. called the Telesins or something like that. So they're supposed to be like a non-humanoid. Right. Yeah. Original series-esque kind of guys in comical lizard costumes. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. And it was supposed to be based on samurai culture, which I don't think makes it any better. No, that's also bad. Yeah. 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 So yeah, they were supposed to be this reptilian race based on samurai culture. Somewhere along the way, it was this guy, um, Russ Mayberry, decided to cast... They changed the storyline, so it was actually Catherine Powers, a white woman, Mm -hmm. who wrote this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think maybe she changed the screenplay, but it was Russ Mayberry's decision to cast an all-black cast for this species or this race of humanoid closely humanoid people so anyway it just that that's part of how this episode even was able to be made is it Uh got pretty far down into production before gene roddenberry was notified that it was very racist and there was some bad stuff going on yeah at which point he actually immediately fired russ mayberry who never worked on another star trek project again ever Yeah, um, and replaced him, but, you know, at that point, I guess filming was too far along. They did what they could, but it was, like, it was already in place. And, you know, we could we could argue about, like, if they should have somehow canceled the episode or what they could have done, but there was at least, like, some action taken, and Gene was furious. And supposedly yeah. Russ was not only, you know, not only did he make the decision to cast all an all-black cast, but he purportedly was very racist and rude towards the cast on set. Ugh. And there's a story that I wasn't able to confirm, but there was a story uh, floating around online that one of the producers walked by while they were filming 
one of the scenes and just immediately broke into a full run and went to like the executive suites and then Russ was fired shortly thereafter. So it seems that as soon as like anyone in production, like any one of the producers found out, like saw what was going on, they did what they could, but you know, the episode was already too far along and the production schedule, I think didn't allow for a full rewrite. So Anyway, that's just some background on what happened. And I just, my first note was that if people were like, holy shit, this is racist. Oh no, fuck. What are we going to do in the 80s? Then like, this is fucking racist. This you is know really what I mean? Bad. Like, yeah, it's just gotten worse with time, you know? Well, I, you know, I wanted to just bounce off of that because I'm, I got really like right away when they said uniquely humanoid race, like mm-hmm. all of my historian alarm bells were going off because I'm like, you know, an eighth grader with like, who's read like the title of their textbook basically could understand the the racial um, overtones. It's not even undertones. I mean, just the racial overtones of putting, you know, putting black and brown bodies onto a screen and then saying uniquely humanoid race. I mean, that by itself, I was like, this is so shocking and so offensive that I I can't even believe that, that that would fly. And my second thought was I, one of the most um, kind of my, my, uh, if you'll excuse the, the terminology, uh, my, my, my loyal religious soldier is speaking here, but um, my, my come to Jesus moment, if you will, uh, as, a, as, a, as an 18-year-old was the first time I read Edward Said's Orientalism. And these comments like, they're a proud race, um, don't show any weakness. These are all Orientalist tropes. Uh, the rolling out of the red carpet, this idea, this like alterity, this othering of 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 a society and then to make that you know you know people in in you know black bodies wearing clothing that is um you know very like anybody watching that is immediately signaled as to what this is you know what this is supposed to mean i mean this is kind of up there with disney's aladdin or you know any of these you know like i said earlier lawrence of arabia you know, this sort of um, fetishiz- fetishization. I can never Did, say that word. Yeah, that is. But there's like a fetishization um, and sort of a like an exoticization of um, of this, which is just it, it's just very clearly anything, you know, African, Mediterranean, uh, what what would have been termed as the Orient or the Near East. um you know, by any early 20th century Orientalist. And like, looking at that, I like, within five minutes, I'm like, this is so bad that like, did no one on this show, like, go to, like, high school and sit through a a history class or something, you know, it just, it was just shocking to me. And I and I thought that this is what is going on, you know, And I think that ties into my main takeaway from the episode, which was that it it's racist. Sure. Like I expected to just feel that it was like anti-black racism, Uh specifically like within a white supremacist context. Uh But it really came through to me that this was just some colonizer bullshit. Yes. Like the white supremacy, of course, is inherent in that. But it really and I think you bringing up the like Orientalism is like a really good point, because even 
someone who wasn't directly represented in this episode, there's still that level of racism there as well. In Mm -hmm. that, like you said, fetishization of a certain culture. I think there's an anti-Black bias in it. There's an anti-Indigenous bias in it. And I Mm -hmm. think there's specifically an anti-Black indigeneity narrative Mm -hmm. that early colonizers used to justify what they ended up doing to Africa. Yeah, what you're saying is so true. This was not anti any particular race. This was like anti everyone that's not white, but it was extraordinarily pro- And European. Right, and it was just pro-colonial was the the, the message. This idea of like the, the rescuing of Yarina, basically, you know, like saving her from her own people. I mean, just, it, 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 it's so bad. It's the, the kidnapping of a white woman. The, the kidnapping of the white woman by the, by the, if you'll excuse the term, the, the quote unquote savages, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's so, so horrid. And, and I just, you know, I can't help but think of like the, um, you know, kind of like the John Wayne type, cowboys and Indians kind of Westerns that I saw as a kid growing up or, um, you know, this, this whole message of, again, just the othering that went on in this episode is just show is just so shocking and beyond any kind of sense. Even, I mean, you know, and, and there are those people who I think is, I think this is intellectually and like, honestly, just disingenuous to say like, oh, it was a product of the times, but even by the standards of the times, mm-hmm. I think that was absurd. Well, and that's what I was trying to point out, too, is that, like, everyone who worked on this show, besides somehow the people who wrote it and directed it, were like, holy shit, this is really fucking bad. Like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't even like, oh, in hindsight, now I realize that episode wasn't good. It was, like, actively in that time, people were like, this is really bad, and there were immediate consequences for it. So. Yeah, it's not a product of its time by any means. Nope. Um, that shouldn't be an excuse anyway, but like it's it that's not even true. I mean, it was even just horribly, overtly problematic at the time of yeah. filming. And particularly given the context, you know, this is not you know, Gene Roddenberry has his issues. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say he doesn't, but this it was obviously not the intent of the show <laughs> was to write an episode like this that was so just harmful and had so many harmful messages. Um, you know, it's the exact opposite of what the mission statement of a Star Trek series is. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. And that, and that took us what that's, that's, we just covered the first five minutes there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, just I, obviously we're going to come back to this. I mean, I have like just pages of notes on what we just talked yeah. about, but, but, um, like on top of that, I was like, okay, so apparently we also have a gender binary all over the universe. Like, Ugh, I I just feel dude. like that's so reinforced, and like gender roles are so reinforced, and like, wow, okay, real creative guys. <laughs> yep. Yeah, we're already on episode three, and the gender binary has been enforced three times. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. like first with jellyfish. Yep. Space jellyfish. And then, you know, in the the drunk episode, it was like, I guess it was more like heteronormativity, but it was like yep. this, you know, man, woman pairing off kind of thing was so heavily reinforced. And now again, in this episode, it's like, yep, men and women, there's a binary all over the... And that's, you know, I can't even, dude... Okay, so this episode's so bad 
Yeah. But are you aware that the ne- next episode introduces the Ferengi? Which, like, uh, I don't even know how my white ass is going to interpret and analyze that shit. But the Ferengi are also extremely sexist. Yeah. And it's like, so you're telling, yeah, you're telling me, like, the entire universe, the entire fucking universe is just full of completely disconnected, you know, civilizations that have developed on their own and yet they're all fucking sexist and there's a gender binary in everyone and they're all straight, like, heteronormative communities. Yeah. It's just exhausting. It's like, this could have been a chance to escape that, right? Like, this is a chance for us to dream of different worlds and different people and, like, it could have been a chance for... People of all colors, people of all genders to see themselves represented without violence on a show. And instead, it's like every fucking episode, we just have to revisit how the the universe is sexist and yet humans have now evolved themselves beyond sexism. Yeah. Even though it's humans writing the script that includes this sexism over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's one of those moments where I'm like, you know what, guys, just fuck it. Just go read Octavia Butler and just fucking forget <laughs> exactly. Star Trek. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this this episode is hard to fucking reconcile with. Uh-huh. And honestly, the first the first season of this series is hard to sit with, you uh-huh. know, and now needing to talk about it, it is kind of tough to grapple with the fact that I love this show so much and yet it put out some really, really harmful shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, so I like slight tangent here, but like what was with the gift from China? Like, were they just yeah, like, I had a note about that too. Were they like, we haven't, we, you know, we haven't covered every possible way we could fuck this episode up. So let's just throw <laughs> in a gift from China also. Like, yeah. because it didn't even make sense. Like I was like, well, even your even your like pro colonial perspective on this is inconsistent. Like this this has no. But did you get some insight on that or? Well, I did see it as like a as like a pro colonial kind mm. of thing where it's like we took this thing from this culture, right? And now we're just using it as like a as um what's the word I'm looking for? Not a commodity, but like um like a cultural exchange, like, yes. but it's not our culture. Yes. And to me, it was kind of like this way that white people, and again, especially like US and like Eurocentric narratives, yeah. like you, you know, you look at museums and yep. how there's still today so many controversies going on with museums of like, hey, you have shit that doesn't belong to you and oh. wasn't actually given to you by us and yeah. we want it back. Yeah. So to me, it was kind of that thing of like, like uh, one of the, the really dangerous narratives that I think Star Trek falls into is that now humans are one thing. Yeah. And that we no longer have to sit with or acknowledge that like humans have many different races, many different cultures, yeah, different genders, different sexualities. So that was part of it to me too. And to me that is like colonizer bullshit of like, Oh, I'm, I'm an ambassador from Earth or I'm a human ambassador and I'm giving you this human artifact as a gift. But it's Mm -hmm. like, but you're a European white man Mm -hmm. giving away a Chinese artifact. Mm -hmm. Like that matters. That context matters. And you're also giving it to this, you know, coded African culture. Yeah. 
which just makes no sense. Like, why yeah. would this person want this random thing that has no context for him? Except, like you were saying, I think the Orientalism comes through yep. very strongly of like, oh, this was from like a like a strong, proud culture. So like, you're a strong, proud culture. You must want this thing that we stole from someone. Yep. And so to me, that's that's how it felt is like colonizing in the sense of like this ownership, this this feeling that like once something gets so old, it just belongs to white people. And it's it's our territory to like display it and see it and show it and give it away, you know, and it and it doesn't still have a rich history connected to it or belong to anyone else. You just like it was almost as if we just scripted this because <laughs> you just served up on a silver platter and and no joke I since watching the episode like not too many days ago I've been reading this book by a guy called Dan Hicks it's called the Brutish Museums so brutish as opposed mm. to British um, pause your podcast right now <laughs> go to your local retailer steal it unless it's a small independent bookstore. Steal this book. It's very good. You you really it. should read it. Um, but it's about, it's very particular. But this guy is a curator at um, the, and the name of the, the, the particular British Museum is slipping my mind right now. But he basically talks about, every, basically you just summarize his thesis mm. with, with your explanation. And if you don't mind, if you'll humor me just for a moment, like he... He, I mean, there's just tons here, but he he quotes very interestingly. Um, he says that there's this assumption that museums are these neutral containers, custodians of a universal heritage, displaying a common global cultural patrimony to an international public of millions each year, celebrations of African creativity that radically lift up African art alongside European sculpture and painting as a universal heritage. He said that's like that's like the assumption by so many white people. And he says, but as long as these museums continue to display sacred and royal objects looted during colonial massacres, they will remain the very inverse of all this. He said they will yes. instead be monuments of the violent propaganda of Western superiority above African civilizations erected in the name of race science littered across Europe and North America like war memorials to gain rather than to loss, devices for the construction of the global South as backward, institutions complicit in a prolongation of extreme violence and cultural destruction, indices of mass atrocity and iconoclasm and ongoing degradation, legacies of when the ideology of cultural evolution, which was an ideology of white supremacy, used the museum as a tool for the production of alterity, tools still operating hiding in plain sight. And that was Dan Hicks, not not an original idea by me, um, but just the, I, I felt like when I read that I was like, oh my god, he watched this episode apparently, um, and, <laughs> um, and he's and he's talking specifically only about the looting of historical artifacts from Benin by the British, but the mm. whole message applies to any kind of anthropological museum, and I feel like this episode is just a case study in that very kind of mindset. Um, yes. and, and, and I feel like that, that gift from the Tsung dynasty was like this, you know, just kind of illustrating that. Honestly, even the entire concept of anthropology, mm. you know, is something that could be challenged. Um, I'm not saying it necessarily inherently has to be a bad thing, but I think 
our assumption that an anthropological pursuit is inherently a noble one mm. is something that should be challenged. And I think it's another failing of the show, given that how human centric, Eurocentric, you know, white centric, this show often ends up being one of the things I think it does the most poorly is have this idea that exploration and anthropology are inherently noble pursuits. Right. When I see them as inherently, inherently problematic and damaging. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that anyone has the right to just go explore strange new worlds. I, I was going to say, you mean to seek out strange new worlds? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, or to bold, boldly go where no one has gone before. Cause it's yeah. like, yeah, but people have, it's it, like, that is literally a colonizer ideology. Yeah, it's like, I'm it going where no one has gone before, but uh -huh. it's like, but people are already there. So yeah. like they have gone there before. Yeah. But it's like, oh, but, but no, but me, like I haven't, like, you know, I'm going here for the first time. So I'm the brave one and I'm the explorer and this is all above board. Like this is just scientific curiosity. And it's like, uh -huh. so why is your ship armed to the teeth with weaponry? And why uh -huh. are you so fast to use that weaponry on these indigenous people that you are just stumbling across? Well, and, and in Star Trek, they try to hide that behind the prime directive which yes. is just such bullshit. But yeah, that, that, that's how they try to like get around that just blatant imperialist neo-colonial kind of, you know, pursuit that is yeah. Starfleet. And I think maybe it'll come up on an episode and maybe this is something we can do in one of our captain's log supplementals. Um, but I think uh, an analysis of the prime directive itself would be really interesting because I have a lot of thoughts about it. Mm. You know, I anyway, it's it's a lot to get into to include here. But yeah, I think the prime directive itself is something that I think a lot of Trekkies take for granted. And I think yeah. it actually, you know, is something that we should really like look at and analyze and talk about because I think it hosts quite a quite a few problems. And I and it also is just kind of lazy, honestly, the way they use it. It just ends up being this narrative device that they pull out when it's convenient, but it's <laughs> it's definitely not actually followed to the letter. It's not consistent how it's used throughout the show. Uh -huh. Which I think, you know, if you have like your main I it's it's said to be one of the core ideologies of Star Trek. And, you know, I know of TNG specifically, like Picard brings it up and, and even says like this is like the core philosophy of what we're doing. Uh-huh. And yet it's inconsistent and poorly written and a little nebulous. <laughs> it's like, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like if this is going to be a core philosophy of the show, then it should be something that is fleshed out and really well thought out and consistent. Yeah. Well, it just makes me a little batty. That, that was, oh man, that was something too that came up. Do you remember that, that they were talking about the French language representing civilization? Yes. And I was like, okay, so first of all, as someone who is a resident of France um, and is very critical because in, in France they have this thing called laïcité, which means that they're a secular republic. And so basically, for just as a for example, they don't keep statistics on race, any race-based statistics in France because race doesn't exist. They mm. say that they're a colorblind republic and that everyone's French. Yeah. And so they just erase all your other identities. And I'm like... 
this idea of the French language representing civilization, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, this is just so lazy, so pathetic. And also, like, I mean, the Enlightenment invented racism and racial categorization. And so if you want to think of the Enlightenment as something that's at least, you know, partially French in its origin, it's just like, no, it doesn't represent civilization. It represents colonialism. So is, right. is that, did you guys, did you miss, is that a typo? you know, in the script there. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I, I made a note about that as well. And I just think like, given the colonial context of this episode, it does not surprise me that Jean-Luc's French heritage and his like Ugh. extreme pride in like French culture mm-hmm. came through so strongly. I mean, it, it was one line, but it was, you know, it was a very assertive kind of it, back and forth uh-huh. and i yeah i don't think it's a, i don't think it's um a coincidence that that like euro pride that french pride came through in this yeah. particular episode yeah yeah and they the had they had a couple other points too where they like like they were just like very not even like really coded racial remarks but they talked about like um like troy's betazoid blood you know, like, like, like this whole mm-hmm. thing is like, like that race is like a genetic thing, which is just also so ignorant. Um, like, like that was bizarre to me. Um, it just, it, 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 there was just so much of that where I was like, yeah, what are they like? How much more colonial, overtly colonial could get, could they get? So, yeah, as I mentioned before, I think, too, it's just really important to acknowledge that, like, Black indigeneity exists because I think in the United States especially, and, you know, given that we have such a stronghold over, like, global media, Uh it's easy to forget that, you know, especially because we have, like, a pretty specific situation with indigeneity and, like, Blackness in our country, given how our country was formed. Um, but I think this episode is a really good example of like understanding and seeing that black indigeneity exists, like black indigenous people exist. And this is how they're treated. I think the intersections Mm. of like anti-black and anti-indigenous rhetoric, again, are not a coincidence. This is a very colonizer view. This, This like is a show that basically encapsulated the ways that people saw African culture and other cultures that they quote unquote discovered um, back in the day. And, you know, at those times, those people were indigenous to their land. And I think it's, you know, it's just really important to always acknowledge because I see it a lot online. At least there's conversations where black indigeneity is like often erased from the conversation. Mm. Um, And just understand that like, yeah, this, this intersection here exists where this episode was a perfect example of the ways that you primatize. I don't even know if that's a word, but you, you like make look primal, you Uh know, someone else's culture, you reduce it down to very stereotyped kind of tropes. You know, you don't engage with it with any nuance. And you also make, um, you do this kind of backhanded thing where you know, they keep saying, they keep saying words like honor and pride and strong. Uh And yet we see that how that's affected is actually threatening to white people. So they're using these words that sound like maybe a compliment, but the way that it's executed and, you know, reducing someone down to even those words, even if they're seen as positive words is not a good thing to do. 
But what it results in, I mean, the fact that a white woman is kidnapped in this episode. I, I literally don't know how much more offensive you could get yeah. when we're looking at both a black culture as well as, you know, we can assume they're at least indigenous to this planet. I don't know if these people are indigenous to the area that they're in, mm -hmm. but for us, you know, obviously the enterprise would be interpreting them as black indigenous people and to use such a horrible trope that has spawned so much violence against yep you know, all of these communities of a white woman getting kidnapped is just really disgusting and really offensive. And I think like it's supposed to be seen maybe as a compliment or something because Yar's strength keeps coming up in the episode. But it's like, you know, like I think they're trying, they're like, oh, we're not doing the thing where she's a helpless white woman. She's a strong white woman. So it's okay. And it's like, no, it's not okay. Because it's still... You have, you know, and even the scene with Troy where she's saying that all of the Lagonian men were turned on and attracted to uh, Yar uh -huh. is just disgusting. It's like there are so these bad. just highly sexualized, you yep. know, borderline violent, aggressive people who have these rigid rules that they go by. And can't be trusted, uh -huh. you know, and, and when you do work with them, like we see Picard, like infantilizing Luton yep. when he's talking to him, when they were talking about Yar, you know, Picard's like, oh, she is a very attractive female, which we know is not the way that Picard talks. So he's uh -huh. doing that because he's like, oh, you're, you're this, you know, um, misogynistic guy. So I'm going to speak your language to try to get you to like agree to do what I want you to do. Right. There's just very much this idea of, I read this somewhere in like one of the many comments that I went through, but people are saying like, it falls into that trope of like white people, Western people always thinking that meeting another culture is like meeting themselves 150 years ago. Uh, you know, so it's like this idea yes. that that the Lagonians are just like these, like they're just behind us. They're not as civilized as us and they just need time. And then they'll look exactly the same as we do. So yeah. there's this like very paternalistic, patronizing view of their culture as just sort of like backwards and regressive. And that like their values would eventually become our values if they, you know, evolved. And I feel like you see that again and again and again, especially in these early episodes. I feel like they get better about it later, but I think TNG falls into that trap a lot of yep. using alien species to be like, look how evolved we are. Yep. And they'll eventually have our values if they're given enough time. That's it, it, it plays into that idea of like this assumption of neutrality, which, you know, I I, I mean, I, I first really started confronting that when I first read Rebecca Solnit's writing um, but I know that many other people have talked about that, but there's this kind of like white male assumption of neutrality and Picard is held up as like the paragon of civilization and neutrality. Yes. You know, and he's always, and it bugs me because like throughout the whole he's series. He's our moral compass. He is, yes, you, throughout the whole series. And even the way, I think there's a line at the end of the episode where they kind of like make some joke about that's not very civilized behavior. And we're all supposed to, it's, it's like the end of Scooby-Doo 
you know, where we're all supposed to be like, oh, <laughs> and like laugh with them, you know? And, and I'm like, yeah. dude, that's so bad. And, and they exactly what you said, they paint this as like a civilized versus uncivilized, you know? The, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also just playing into like hurtful tropes, I think, like a black woman, you know, losing her man to, I didn't mean to say like her man, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Losing her relationship to a white woman Mm -hmm. and the the black man in the relationship treating it as an upgrade Mm -hmm. like like yar you know doesn't have anything to offer lutan she Mm -hmm. doesn't have land or wealth because she doesn't even come from this planet so it's literally seen as like i want to take this black woman's wealth yeah and then use it to upgrade like i literally want to get rich and then use that wealth to upgrade to a white woman, yeah. which is such a, you know, I don't know. It's almost like they're reinforcing that, like, yes, a white woman is an upgrade, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Which absolutely not. Like, yeah. absolutely not. But yeah, it's it's just the way it was presented and the fact that they basically have the same name. I just like that probably was just them being lazy, but it kind of like. It just seems so intentional and so hurtful. Like, you know, I'm going to upgrade to someone who, like, has your same name. Yar and Yarina. Like, Yarina seems like a, a diminished form, like a diminutive form yeah. of Yar, you know? Yeah, like it, a cutesy kind of childlike version of... Right, like like a, like Nino or something, you know? Yeah, it's just... It's, like, it's just too on the... It's just too on the nose, it's too on the nose. It's just ridiculous. And the fact even that Yar goes into it just so confident she can win at this battle, mm-hmm. you know, using a weapon she's never used before on mm-hmm. a fighting ground that she's never even stepped foot in before, and she does. It mm-hmm. just is kind of humiliating towards yep. this poor woman, you know? Um, it, yeah, and just so... Ugh. And then the ending that she still allows him to be her second husband, I think maybe that's supposed to be humiliating to him, but Mm -hmm. it just seems kind of humiliating towards her. Right. Like she immediately gives away her, her wealth and her land again to someone else. And then she keeps this guy, like this guy's still going to share her bed and still have a relationship with her after he tried to have her killed and like switch her out for someone else. It just feels like really... It just feels like it has a very narrow, infantilized view of black women. Yeah. And like, you know, how how someone in that position would actually handle that situation. She's just so like even the conversation she has with Yara where she's just like, how could you not love him? Like, right. You know, like she's just at his mercy and just really has no sense of self or so any self-respect or anything like that. And we never see her with other women. We never get a sense that she has a community. We don't see her with like family or friends or mm-hmm. anything else. She's just her entire purpose in the narrative is just to be so lovesick for this guy mm-hmm. who's literally trying to have her killed. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and there's so many more of those like undertones too of just like of toxic masculinity. Like, like there's this kind of like, like that the worst thing Picard could ever have to do is stoop to the level of kindly asking for the return of Yar, 
after they <sighs> kidnap her. And it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, obviously all the other problems in that aside, the fact that it's like, well, what do you mean? Because we could blow them up, you know? And it's like, oh, but yeah. we won't because they have this thing that we need, which is also just like, oh my God, this is so crazy. Um, but but then it's like the worst thing he could have to do is like be, you know, is like kindly request something in nonviolent terms. That, that's right. like somehow him like being so generous and stooping so much, you know? Which, again, contradicts what we're told is so great about the Enterprise. I know. Which is that it's this peaceful, scientific, exploratory vessel. Yes. And yet, yeah, you see Picard's immediate frustration that he can't just strong arm his way through a situation. Yeah. Well, <sighs> so, okay, here's, here's a thought just that's been brewing. I <laughs> So there are a couple points in this episode where they try to make this episode about humanity and Mm -hmm. it pisses me off because they have such a low view of the core things that make us human so so there's there's the scene where like where dr crusher you know asks for for will to be able to be on the bridge and picard's like what who who's who's it who's this will and she's like, my son. Is it like he inexplicably forgets who this is? Like, oh right, your uh, son. You know. You mean the person who saved the ship in the last episode right. that you made a, a specific note in his file about him <laughs> doing this thing? That's the one. Okay. So, so there's that. This like of like you know Picard being kind of like disconnected. Oh uh, right, your mm-hmm. son. There's this. There's the the line that Crusher says, which just like made me piss my pants laughing. Damn, where are the calluses we doctors are supposed to grow over our feelings? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then and Picard's like the good ones, the good perhaps ones the good ones never, never do. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, this is so bad. Okay, so there's that. Okay, now bear with me. I'm building a case here, okay? Okay. Um, so so there's there are those two things. Um there is the uh uh where oh yeah, okay, so Lutan says to Picard, what do you know of needs and feelings? And Picard goes, nothing. Well, almost nothing. So so there's this idea of needs and feelings, okay. And then, mm-hmm. oh, this episode, for my nomination for this episode's Words of Wisdom. Uh, mm. Words of Wisdom. I was like, I was wondering, like, what the hell is he going to pull out? Come, it's, it's from Data. Okay, Words of Wisdom from Data. Of course. And he says, we always come back to the human equation. This is Data. Mm. Uh, but also, like, second runner-up, and probably because I like this better, he says, how do you know when something is funny? I, Which I <laughs> yeah. also, like, kind of, like, low-key, like, yeah, Data, like, how do you know when something is funny? <laughs> um, okay, so uh-huh. all of this, all of this kind of moves in this idea of there being this, like, like some kind of human emotion or human force that overtakes everything else, which is Mm. very rooted in their neocolonial racist, sexist ideology for sure. Um, And also has just in general, a low view of humanity. Uh, But I was just kind of like, I was going to, I wonder if they were trying to like get across this thing of like love being this force kind of like they did with the space jellyfish in episode (laughs) one of like love being this force that like leads to, to unpredictable things. So I don't know if, I, I don't know if that's a, a legitimate thing or if it's just me trying to like find something in this episode that mm. wasn't just overtly racist and sexist. But 
anyway, that's my that's my take. <laughs> I like that. I think it's something we should keep an eye on for like future episodes because mm-hmm. I do think like there could be something there for sure. Yeah. You know. Yeah, this episode was just fucking bizarre. Like, the writing was just so bad that it was like, like, Crusher saying that uh-huh. was so out of character uh-huh. for her. Uh-huh. Like, she, her whole thing is that she's kind of cold, you yeah. know, and very cool under pressure. Yeah. But there's a sense that she is like a passionate woman underneath, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. But yeah, she's just, she's a really good doctor. Like she's just very on top of it. So for her to come in and just be like, "Oh, like where are these calluses that we're supposed to get as doctors?" It was like, "What?" It's yeah. so out of character and just so weird. And especially for it to be happening about people, like she was saying it because of this outbreak uh-huh. that's happening on like a planet they're not even on. Like she's not even directly seeing these people. And not to right. say you can't have empathy of course you can for like what other people are going through but just to know that she's a doctor who has like worked on people and like lost people like with her own hands yeah and the thing that's breaking her is this like far off plague that they're getting a vaccine for is just kind of weird they did not build the case for that line to be convincing no it's just just, they wanted her to say it for some reason i think someone in the writer's room was just like I just wrote the best line ever, you know, just was really proud of themselves. Yes, yes. And it's like, honey, no, 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 no. No. You're just every, you're every, this, this has like personal, like personal jokes. So to the one person listening to this who might understand this, this has like every white guy who's got a hot take. This is like, you know, this is, this is what that is, right? Yeah. Like, guys, 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 hot take. Damn, where are the calluses? Am I right or am I right? I'm right. <laughs> They're like fire line, bro. Put it in. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of oh high fiving at the table after that uh, one. Yeah, it's just really, it's really upsetting. Can can we make some amusing observations now? I you said that you had some some observations, stray observations. Yeah. I was looking at my notes. I think let me just close with my last kind of putting things together thought. Yes. Sort of like you're putting things together yes. thought. Yes, sorry to rush you um, there. Oh, no, it's okay. Because <laughs> um, I think I think I said... So one last thing I want to say is just basically that they only met... like Presumably they only engage with warp-capable civilizations. Uh-huh. And so, but it was very hard to determine if this society was or was not because Mm. they somehow have this vaccine for a different planet. So it feels like they must be at least in communications with other, like, why Uh would they have a vaccine for something that they don't even have? Yet they were also presented as these like backwards people. And I feel that that happens on Star Trek a lot where, you know, like they only engage with people who have or civilizations that have evolved to a certain point and yet they're also presented as civilizations that are so rigid in their own culture that they have no idea how to talk to other people right like lutan like lutan repeatedly insisted that like his culture was this so they needed to like rigidly adhere to what his culture was or else he was going to be offended and the deal was going to be off. Right. But it's like, but if they're advanced enough to like have this vaccine for a different planet 
and maybe presumably be warp capable. Uh-huh. You don't think that they also would understand that other people have different cultures and like also understand how to engage with people. <laughs> and to me, it just really draws a parallel to like how like again, you know, colonizers would talk about the cultures that they would encounter uh. as trying to present them as like very rigid and backwards and not understanding like a more civilized culture right. and us having to like play along with their silly rules to, right. you know, do business with them or whatever. So I just enhanced that kind of feeling, that kind of vibe that we're getting. And it's something that I think not just in this episode, but I've noticed it in other episodes as well is like, okay, you have these rules that you're not going to engage with other civilizations that haven't evolved to a certain point and yet you're still treating them like they're backwards and right. primitive oh, and it just is really annoying that is so, and, and that and, and that's such a great follow-on from the neo-colonial narrative because it's like mm-hmm. you know you, i can imagine like you know some like explorer from the 15th century or whatever you know being like guys 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 you'll never you'll never believe this i met this civilization <laughs> they don't know that when you eat the Holy Communion bread, it turns into the flesh of Christ inside your body. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can you believe how primitive these people are? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like this exactly. again, this like assumption of like neutrality that like, oh yeah, like clearly we're the only, we're the ones who know everything, and and these and these people who have warp capabilities and have developed a vaccine for a distant planet, you know, don't seem to know any. Uh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Or like here in the U.S., you know, it's like, oh, these people will steal your wives. Yeah. Be careful. But like also our constitution is largely based on their laws that they had written because they actually were a really advanced civilization Mm -hmm. and had really good ideas that we took for our own government. You know, it's like it's that kind of vibe of Mm -hmm. like, oh, they've like evolved so far that we can engage with them. But like then we're also still going to present them as if they're just these like blanket backwards people that we have to like condescend to and placate to do business with. And it just is really gross. And again, very like to me has a lot of like very anti-indigenous tones Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. Well, and well, it just reminds me of, you know, I I first left the U S about 17 years ago or so. And it, it just reminds me of the, like the the rhetoric or the types of questions I would get asked about like, oh, what do they do over there? What are they like? You know, this type mm-hmm. of thing. And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, it's like once you once you meet people from other places, you're like, oh, well, they're a lot like people. <laughs> you, know? Like, <laughs> exactly. you know, they like yeah. to eat food and hang out with each other. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, uh, it's this sort of like, you know, the other, again, this othering that kind of happens in, in the Star Trek universe is, yes. is not a good look. Yeah, I feel like I've noticed that like the more radicalized I got, I had a period of time where I was traveling a lot for my various jobs. And yeah, I started to become very bothered by people asking about the places I went mm. In that way. Yeah. You know, because it's like, like, or even people, yeah, meeting me and being like, oh, what is California like? Right. Or what is this like? And it's like, I mean, not that there aren't, I guess, some sort of unique-ish factors to the areas that you live. But uh-huh. yeah, it started to really bother me to have to talk about things in that way because it did feel very 
touristy. You know, it felt very like, oh, we're going to reduce everyone down to a stereotype and then that's it. Yeah. Like, oh, California is just this. And it's like, well, California is a giant fucking state. Right. Like, it's an enormous fucking state. Right. It's bigger than many countries. And, like, to ask me to, like, even to summarize what San Diego is like, you know, feels just kind of gross. Anyway, so, yeah, I, I think that's another huge issue that I have. Because watching this this episode you know, Star Trek does that a lot in like these ridiculous ways. Like we just, this episode had us meet a people. They're called the Lagonian people. Uh That's the name of their planet. Right. Like, can you, can we stop for a minute and talk about how they literally met this one very small, you know, subset of Uh an entire planet and they were referred to by their planet's name Yeah, and how ridiculous that is. Like that's how much they're crushing everyone's culture into this just homogenized, um, you know, easily stereotyped kind of narrative. And that's like ridiculous. I mean, even here we have different neighborhoods in the city that all have their own very distinct vibe right. <laughs> you know like you could even get down to like what street you live on to kind of describe someone so to think that an entire planet of people <laughs> is just this one way is just so ridiculous and just gross this, this episode was written by like some guy from chicago who went to hawaii for christmas one time <laughs> oh god <laughs> yeah you know what i mean that's what I mean too. Yeah, like I went I went to Hawaii a couple of years ago for work. And that was like when I got back, people were like, oh, how was it? And yeah. I was like, I don't want to talk. I, like, I don't know. It like, just what bothered do you mean me. By just, that? Yeah. Like, oh, it was beautiful and the people were so nice. Like, yeah. I, it's just gross. Like, yeah. I don't want to talk about places like that, you know? Anytime when, when people when someone has traveled somewhere and they begin a sentence with the people, dot dot yeah. dot, I'm immediately yeah. like <laughs> Mm, I'm already uncomfortable. Why don't we just not finish that <laughs> sentence? <laughs> Can we please just not have this conversation? Yeah. yeah, I worked with a guy who went to Thailand. He did this like huge trip. He went to a bunch of different places, but uh-huh. he he just that he got back from Thailand and wherever else he went and he was like, oh, the the people there are this and the people there are that. And I was like, bro. And of course he came back wearing one of those like beaded bracelets. Of course he did. I forget what they're called. Mm-hmm. It was just so disgusting. And he's like, I want to retire there. Their way of life is this and that. And oh, I'm like, you're gosh. just a fucking gross tourist. Yeah. And then even better, he went to Korea on that trip. And we work with some Korean people, and he we he was literally telling these I'm Korean men. <laughs> I had to suffer, so you have to suffer. Okay, okay. He was literally telling these Korean men what Korean women are like in Korea, and they're both like, like they just let him talk, which I was like, okay, I guess you know. <sighs> But yeah, I was like these, these guys, like not only are they Korean American, but like they like actively like have family in Korea and go there all the time. So it just was really gross anyway. And that's what the the enterprise reminds me of so much. Like, like, oh my God, when we get into future episodes with the, the pleasure planet, I forget the name of it, but like Riker (sighs) always recommends this planet for these like pleasure vacations. I bet he does. I'm just like, oh, sex tourism. Cool, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, great, <laughs> you know, like, Riker. Wonderful. Great. Glad that's what we're 
doing in our uh, futuristic leftist society utopia show. Anyway, so my last bummer um, notice, uh, note, sorry, I cannot talk today. The audience (laughs) is like, bitch, we know, we've been listening. Um, (laughs) My last thing to kind of tie this all together, a note that I made Mm -hmm. is um, this this episode seems to be in a way, and I think several episodes will also do this, um, trying to illustrate a counterpoint to Q's claims of humans as a savage child race. By trying to show, like, no, look how evolved we are. All these other people are savage child races. Oh. You know, we're the grown-up ones who have, like, evolved and have done better. And Picard, I think in this episode, uh. and I know he definitely does in ep- other episodes, makes comments like, oh, like, we used to be like that, but then we learned, uh. or, you know, then we grew. He, like, is constant. It, there's this constant narrative of, like, a juxtaposition of, the values that these people have are values we used to have, but uh-huh. have evolved beyond. Ooh. And we just have, yes. have to give them time to grow up. The, d- d- there's that line, which I, uh, humans did not evolve out of pompous beliefs about codes of honor and superiority. Ooh. And I was just like, I, I don't remember where that was from in the episode, <sighs> but I was like, yeah, you, you, it, it's, ah. Okay, well, thanks for ruining all of TNG for me. Um <laughs> Podcast canceled. We're done. This will be the last episode of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. It's it's honestly like I feel like I'm going to need to get a therapist or something to get through <laughs> this episode and then have to deal with the Frangies in the next episode. Oh, man. And yet somehow still be like, but this show's great. Just give it a few seasons. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. So now we can move on to fun facts and fun things we noticed in the episode. Fun observations. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I, I They all seemed more interesting to me when I, <laughs> when I wrote them down. But, like, have you just noticed that no Star Trek furniture ever looks comfortable? Like, like <laughs> when they were sitting at the banquet thing, like, before the fight, like, they're all sitting on these, like, backless kind of, like, stool chairs, like, apparently outside, I guess, but, like, mm-hmm. and, and, like, no one looks comfortable, like, everybody looks like they're in, like, a, a one-man play sitting on a stool, like, it just, <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, guys, it's, you know, it's really far in the future, like, don't we have some, like, fuck, like, ergonomic you shit? Think. <laughs> yeah, you would, and they would know the importance of it. Yeah. I can't take credit for this, but it, it kind of somewhat related. Um, someone in the comments that I read said, it's funny how the further and further into the future we get, the more often there's hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> <laughs> I know, my, my first thought, my first thought was like, ooh, cage match. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the wwe or you know like we have, <laughs> we have this very highly stylized fight oh my god it's kind of like not funny because i think it ties back again it's a way for them to make these other cultures seem more primitive right. of like oh yeah even though the crew has these fancy weapons like these you know laser handheld lasers and stuff they mm-hmm. have to like do hand-to-hand combat because mm-hmm. these people are so backwards mm-hmm. but i just thought it was like it was a very funny comment because it's like so true like we're hundreds of years in the future and yet these huge um these huge conflicts are being settled with like hand-to-hand combat 
Uh, anyway. But I mean, let's, you know, let's give credit where credit is due in this episode. I think the best performance of the episode was Tasha Yar's headband <laughs> in, the, in the fight. Because, you know, she didn't need to change out of her black loafers. <laughs> no. Nope. She didn't need to change out of the very restrictive onesie that, that they all, like, inexplicably wear on the Enterprise. She... She did need to keep that sweat out of her face. She did need to keep the sweat out. And she did it when she was doing that intense stretching. I was like, you know, the scene where she's like on the floor stretching for the fight that's going to happen like in hours. And I'm like, are you warming up for the home run derby? Is this the 1989 all-star game? <laughs> that's too good. And I have to say, honorable mention goes to the tracksuit that Yarina was wearing. Oh. I unironically would wear that shit. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> yes. I thought it was beautiful. I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's beautiful. It doesn't seem like something I'd want to fight in, but <laughs> it's something I would definitely wear for a night out. I mean, I would say, I think it's safe to say that I have never seen an episode of Star Trek where I've said, hmm, that looks like a comfortable outfit. Like, <laughs> right. like I don't know they, they're never wearing comfortable clothes again it goes no, back to they the furniture really never thing. are yeah I do have a thing for Wesley's sweaters though oh shoot you're so right we'll talk, he has an orange sweater that I'm like oh he has sweater does things to me he has the coziest sweaters he has really cozy he's just a cute little boy he's, he's just yeah. a sweet baby boy and that's it and he has the best sweaters um the uh this episode might we'll have to see as we go along mm -hmm. it might be the most ridiculous is ridiculous use of troy's powers oh her right. quote unquote powers and her yeah. role as a counselor uh one of my favorite lines from the episode like ironically favorite is one can see the importance of honor here sir <laughs> <laughs> oh. and picard was like yes i got it thank you <laughs> Yeah, this this episode is definitely like, thank God you're here. a pain, pain, <laughs> I only see pain episode. Yes. <laughs> like, I give yeah, this episode, like, five pains. <laughs> yeah, it, it's to the pain. Like, from... Yes. Are you a, a Princess Bride stan? Oh. If not, we may have to convert you, because it's literally the best movie ever made. The Princess Bride? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously... Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't well, yeah. we wouldn't be friends if that was if that was like <laughs> a topic of discussion, even like if this was. I up for literally debate. okay. This is an aside, and it's also a true story. I literally stopped being friends with two people because they didn't like the Princess Bride. That was a good life choice. It wasn't exactly directly because they didn't like it, but uh -huh. that started the path to me being like. I don't think you two are as cool as I thought you were. Yep. And it turns out they weren't. And we yeah. stopped being friends. Yeah. And now I know if anyone doesn't like the Princess Bride, mm -hmm. I don't know if I can talk to you. I'm Nick, I am not sure that my partner has seen the Princess Bride. Oh my God. I'm scared to show it to her because I don't know if she'll like it. Well, I'm. you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking Discord watch party. That would be really fun. Yeah, because like really, if you cannot make an R-O-U-S's joke at some point <laughs> or like some kind of reference to the fire swamp at some point in your relationship, yeah. like is it going to last? I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> you've got to be able to talk about the fire swamp. <laughs> you you just have to. Yes. I don't understand how you can have a future with someone if you don't have that. 
as the foundation. And someone who expli- like inexplicably inexplicably has to clear my throat constantly. Mm-hmm. The the mm-hmm. welcome to the pit. <laughs> welcome to the pit of despair. <laughs> that, I, I think of that like every morning when I'm making my coffee, and I'm like, oh, do you want some coffee? <laughs> oh, do you want some coffee? <laughs> I inexplicably just say mailage a lot while I'm walking around my house. Don't we I don't all? even know why. <laughs> okay, apparently I have... this is now a Princess Bride podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Keep up, Well, Keep we can't up. do... <laughs> We can't do Star Trek anymore. So. <laughs> exactly. You ruined it all it for us. It just makes sense. Um, yeah, I have a Princess Bride coloring book, adult coloring book wow. that someone got me. It is fucking beautiful. And I actually haven't colored in it because it's so nice. Oh, you don't want to like, color it. I'm afraid to ruin it. Yeah. Yeah, but that's how much of a fan I am. Oh. Anyway, so yes, I feel this episode is beyond pain, pain, loneliness, yeah. oh, and yeah. has gotten to the pain, mm-hmm. which is, you know, cutting off all your stuff. And or it's the pain device that takes years off your life. Ugh, yeah. So we do not recommend anyone ever watch this episode. No. If it wasn't for the racism, it could be so bad it's good. Like, if right. the writing is definitely so bad it's good, but, like, the racism just makes it not fun. Like, honestly, if we just throw some people into lizard costumes, <laughs> we might be able to pull this one off with, you know, like, just being so bad. Like... Well, that's what people are saying is like, even if they just had had a multiracial cast for the Lagonians, right. then it it still, to me, would have had like the colonial nah, you're right. no, you're issues. Right. You're right. But at least it wouldn't have been as like horrendously, obviously bad. Right. Or if they had been white, you know, it would yeah. have helped. No, you're least. right, though. It doesn't it doesn't salvage the episode. The, the themes of the like this episode is rotten from the core. So it you is. can't, yeah, even it's lizard costumes. Yeah, yeah, even lizard costumes mm. can't save it. Do you have any more fun observations? Because I have some fun facts oh, please to close out. lay with. the fun facts on me. Really, my only fun <laughs> observation was how horrible the furniture is, the headband, <laughs> and Tasha Yar's odd stretching routine. <laughs> so, you know, we've, we've covered my deep thoughts. <laughs> um. Okay, so as I mentioned before, this episode was written by a white woman uh-huh. with capital H sounds in it, uh-huh. um, Catherine Powers. And she apparently thought this plot was so good that she wrote a very similar one for Stargate in which Carpenter is kidnapped and married to a local warlord. No, she didn't. And I think in that one, she also has to fight the warlord's wife. What? But with a knife this time to the death. Yeah. Wait, was, she literally wrote the same fucking plot for a different show. For, was that Stargate SG One? Was that the the show? Yeah, was that, I think so. I actually haven't seen it. I've seen the movie, yeah. but I never saw the show. I, same, same. But is that yeah. the one with MacGyver in it? Uh, yes. Richard Dean Anderson is in Stargate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I actually just watched the whole thing about the show, but I've never seen it, which is yeah. classic me. I always know a lot about stuff like that I actually don't know anything about. Um, <laughs> hey, are, are, you, are you practicing to be a white man? <laughs> I am. <laughs> it's what I've aspired to my whole life. But, and interestingly, so this episode in 2016, fans at the 50th anniversary Star Trek convention mm. Voted Code of Honor as the second worst episode of any Star Trek series behind only Star Trek Enterprise series finale, These Are the Voyages. 
But many, many fans say this is the worst episode. Wow. And some say it's like the worst episode of Star Trek ever. Huh. And interestingly, that episode of Stargate is said to be the worst episode of Stargate ever. <laughs> so I don't know why anyone would hire this woman, yes. first of all. That's my question. She's a fucking menace. Yeah. I mean, the the real tragedy here is that she was able to do it more than once. I mean, that's... I know. How is that possible? She's a pretty prolific writer, too. And I looked her up. She has credits on a lot of different shows. And I'm just like, I don't understand it. Wow. We talked about how director Russ Mayberry was fired halfway through. Yep. The episode is completed by director Les Landau. Who, Landau? Landau? I don't know how I'm ever going to be in France because I cannot speak French <laughs> at all. Oh, that's okay. Anyway, I can't either. Who goes, who goes uncredited? <laughs> Um, which I thought was funny because I, I don't know if he was uncredited by choice or not, but I Oof. can imagine him being like, do not put my name yeah. on this shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, if it was I'll by accident, up, he was but... like, whoo, dodged the bullet on that one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, Jonathan Frakes, as I kind of mentioned before, as well as the basically the entire Next Generation cast uh-huh. has publicly denounced this episode multiple times. Uh-huh. Um, Jonathan Frakes has called it a racist piece of shit. Wow. And as I mentioned, he has campaigned unsuccessfully to get it removed. Well, unsuccessfully, at least like in syndication on like streaming services. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was able to get it off TV, but he's campaigned to either have it removed or at least have it have like Disney's doing now with some of their movies, which is like a statement at the beginning, acknowledging that it's racist and it's not okay. And like apologizing basically for it. Um, which again, to my knowledge, hasn't happened yet, but he's been extremely public about it. Um, and like, like I mentioned before, I kind of want to know, you know, it made me feel good that the cast had such a strong reaction to and have been so outspoken about it. But also I don't want to give too much credit to anyone, especially Jean, because in the next episode we go into the Ferengi. Why? Which I don't even know why the Ferengi exists. They're just, anyway... Michael Dorn as Worf was notably missing from this episode, it being one of only two episodes in the entire series that he does not appear in. What? And, you know, I'm I'm glad that he wasn't, but, like, it doesn't make any sense he wasn't in this episode because if you think about a Klingon who has, like, a strict code of honor and right. all these things... And, you know, like, frankly, is also played by a black actor. Uh-huh. His ability to, you know, would have been inarguably valuable for him to have some some spot, some role on this episode. Uh-huh. People in the comments were saying, like, on the forums that I was in, were saying that, like, at this time, Worf didn't really have, like, a very set role. And he wasn't very, like, up in the cast. So it kind of makes sense, maybe, that he wasn't here. But I also, it just kind of feels intentional it just feels yep. kind of weird that this is one of two episodes in the entire series he's not on <clears throat> and also again that like this this you know and i have i have huge issues with the klingons for the same reason sure. um that we'll talk about but the fact that like his culture is so similar and he wasn't consulted he wasn't like just any part of the conversation just very bizarre uh-huh. However, Dorn has talked about that he is really glad that he wasn't in the episode and he wishes they hadn't done it. 
And he told a story at a convention in the 90s about how Patrick Stewart came up to him and apologized for the episode, which I thought was nice, you know, because Patrick Stewart didn't have any control over anything that happened, but he just like acknowledged to work to work to work to Michael (laughs) Dorn that it was not okay. Um, And then my last little fun fact, maybe some of these facts weren't fun, but my last fact, (laughs) this one Mm. is fun. Um, the blue razor prop that LaForge used to, sh- that Jordy used to shave was seen later again in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the sort of Kalis. So it was only seen like one other time. Mm. And that episode was directed by LeVar Burton. Oh. So I feel like that was LeVar Burton's like, either he was calling back to his own character or maybe the razor was his own little thing that he injected into the script. But mm-hmm. either way, I thought it was very cute that yeah. he... Brought that with him to an episode he directed later on. And then the last thing I got is my favorite quote, which is, including the Kittleys. Now that's funny. We always come back to the human equation. Exactly. Have you continued to work on it? Constantly, my friend. Particularly the humor. A man goes to a store to buy some kidneys. Oh, no. He says to the shopkeeper, I'd like a pound of kiddlies, please. The shopkeeper says, you mean kidneys, don't you? The man says, I said kiddlies. Did lie? It's too old. And you didn't tell it very well. How do you know when something is funny? It's not explainable. You, you just do. Perhaps it is you, Geordie. including the kiddlies... I've told 662 jokes, and you have not... <laughs> including the kiddlies. Now, see, that's funny. <laughs> it was not meant as a joke. <laughs> the tongue <slipped. laughs> Man, I, that, that scene was a gem. <laughs> I forgot about it. It's a shame <laughs> that it gets buried in this just horrendous piece of trash. I know. It was such a really good, concise character building. Mm-hmm. Like, it was actually a really well-written scene, yeah. you know? You got so much texture to both to both act characters yeah. and their relationship to each other mm-hmm. in this, like, short little moment. It was, like, really well done. And, you know, the fact that it's buried in the rest of this just trash heap is very, very unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, well, <sighs> we did it. We got through it. We, we did the thing. We did the thing. So, yeah, this definitely gets our pain, pain, loneliness rating. Off the charts. Yeah. Off the charts. Do not recommend. No. And, you know, I wish I could say it gets better. But, yeah, we got to discuss the Frangie next time. So it's going to be rough for a while. (sighs) You know. Um, If anyone's interested, I did link to my favorite. I read a lot of resources and a lot of kind of random stuff, but I linked to my favorite ones in the show notes so you can read those there. For a lot of them, they might be just like a post or a review of the episode, but then the comments section is really interesting Mm -hmm. with people who have inside knowledge and their own takes on stuff. So highly recommend those if you're a nerd like me and you like to dig into the details and stuff. But... (laughs) Yeah, we will be back next time. Um, And you know what, Nick? I I think it's safe to say if they made it this far, they're definitely a nerd like you. I I (laughs) And a nerd like me. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) 
Yeah, because I know some of our friends are going to listen, but I think we probably have lost them by now. Oh, I, yeah, at this point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, once we started talking about The Princess Bride, they were probably like, what is this thing that we're listening <laughs> to right now? <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, we'll be back next week for um, Season 1, Episode 4, The Last Outpost. Oof, I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk to you all then. Okay, bye. Bye. Captain Blog Supplemental. So, uh, Michael, I hear we have some correspondence from the audience that I have not heard yet. We do. This is very exciting. So, um, as you know, a few people noticed, we talked about the real, honest to goodness, in real life Gmail account, um, <laughs> sauce.sep at gmail.com. <laughs> And actual human listeners have, believe it or not, typed those letters onto their computer and sent emails <laughs> to me and you. I love that you're explaining how emails work. I, I feel the need to do that because in this age of bots and spam, <laughs> it's just the fact that a real human being would sit down and you know, tickle the ivories, as it were. <laughs> okay, I swear to God, I quit drinking six weeks ago. I have not had a drop. This is just pure, unadulterated. Have you started smoking weed no. to replace it? <laughs> I mean, in spite of in spite of what you're hearing now, no, not tonight. Just a just a hot glass of chicory, just. A, just, just a cool glass of dwarf star juice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that shit'll get you fucked up. That will. Watch that out. will. That will. That is some crazy ass shit. Okay. Um, oh my god. So anyway, uh, we get some. We get some nice. Uh, some nice notes. I will say, I have to congratulate uh, our number one fan, um, my good friend Andrew, who was the first to email me, and. Does not get any bonus points for um, an e for for sending an interesting email. It just says, "I think mine should count as uh, should count as the first one because I used the correct email with a dash because he tried to email <laughs> me at, at sauce dash sep and it got kicked back to him." But uh, I, I have to give Andrew honorary mention because I actually forgot that episode two of our podcast had dropped. Be, until mm. I got a message from him, like, how long was our second episode? 55 minutes? I think so, yeah. 56 minutes after it dropped, <laughs> I got a message from him saying, I'm done with episode two. So I I, I think he might be our number one fan. <laughs> well, thanks, Andrew. Yeah. I know we uh -huh. haven't met in person yet, but uh, I think we've met over email. Yeah. And yeah, so big thanks I to really Andrew. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And because of Andrew's time zone, none of the rest of you are probably ever going to beat him to listening to <laughs> the episode um, when it drops. So it's so true. Um, so so for the honor now, I in 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 honor of Wesley being named honorary ensign, um, mm. I have named the honorary first email uh, to our good friend Sarah, um, and. 
Sarah actually, you know, wrote a nice message um, talking about how how fun it is listening to the podcast and hanging out and laughing with us. And, you know, I concur because when I re-listen to our episodes, I laugh with us too. (laughs) We are very fun to laugh with. (laughs) I agree. And I love this, this confidence, this energy for us. But when I'm editing the episodes, I'm having a great time, I have to say. Yeah. And, and Sarah does make the great observation that she can't wait for more episodes. And I will say to all six of our listeners, you know, that we, we have heard you. We understand that the, that the two week, um, you know, mm-hmm. gap is kind of a long one. Uh, but you know, you just, you can't rush this kind of quality. I would so... love to be able to release this once a week. And I'm glad this is giving us a, a space to talk about it because uh-huh. that was the initial plan is uh-huh. that Mike and I wanted to have this be a weekly podcast. I think that's cadence works really well for this format. Cause then you could kind of build a habit around, you know, uh-huh. watching an episode every say Wednesday night and then listening to us every Thursday morning. But the reality is that it's pretty, Mike and I are about nine hours apart (laughs) and, you know, Mike especially has a very full life with other obligations and it's, it's hard to meet. And then also it takes me a long time to edit the episodes and do everything that goes into getting them published. So for now, it has to be every other week, maybe hopefully in the future, if this tanks off and we're podcast famous, uh-huh. then we would be able to have the time and the the resources to do this more often. But that's why it's bi-weekly, babes. I would say if you love this podcast and you would like it to be weekly, um, leave us a great review. Mm-hmm. Tell all of your friends. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I am not beyond blowing off work to record a couple episodes, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Exactly. If you listen to this and you work with me, well, you know, let's just keep this our little secret, okay? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, But uh, Let's just keep this sauce sep, okay? Yeah, yeah, let's keep the sauce sep. This is on the sauce sep. (laughs) The SS, as Nick would say. (laughs) I would say that. Um, I was laughing at how much alliteration I was putting in a recent script and just was like, I don't know if anyone else is going to pick up on this, but I'm amused. Oh, I love your alliteration. You you really have a, a gift. You have a gift. <laughs> a gift or a curse. <laughs> I will say today during my lunch hour, I was um, responding to some of your emails and uh, a, a colleague of mine called me up and was like, hey, can can we meet about something really quickly? Are you busy? And I said, no, I'm just responding to my fan mail. And he, <laughs> and he laughed at me. And I was like, oh, this is great because I didn't need to lie. But, <laughs> but, uh, but he doesn't believe you. But he doesn't believe me. So it's okay. But it's actually true. Yeah. Yeah. So, Love it. so that was nice. Sarah, thank you for your email. Um, I got a nice message uh, from, from Jonathan, who I do not know. Um, so Jonathan, kind internet stranger, um, thank you for the message. You were not the first, you know what though? I'm still printing it and I'm just hanging Mm -hmm. it up, you know, because you said, I am not Nick by the way, or am I? So (laughs) I I really appreciated the, and you'll never know. And and now I'll just never know. Yeah. No, I have to say, um, I do think you should print Jonathan's email. Jonathan, let us let me know, but I don't recognize your name. So uh-huh. unless I know you 
under some other name from the internet, mm -hmm. you might be our first organic listener. Yeah. In like which case, first, that's another Because basically first. these other emails are like getting emails from your mom. You know, yeah. we got them yeah. from people who know us and yeah. love us. Yeah. Like which our is two, very sweet. Like two of our closest friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Which we which love and appreciate. Which I still treasure. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Deeply, but of course, there's always the thrill of the first organic listener where uh -huh. you're like, wow, you're uh -huh. actually new to us uh -huh. and this is amazing. So I am thinking it might be time to branch out into into the Reddit sphere a little bit and, you mm. know, some R, I'll let you R Star Treks. That. Yeah. But if, if any of y'all are on Reddit, you know, give us a shout. Um, yeah. yeah, that actually is extremely helpful getting yeah. posted in Reddit threads. And it's hard to yep. do because most of the threads you have to, or most of the communities you have to have been a member and been contributing yeah. in order to promote your own work. So it helps a lot if a fan just does it for us. Yeah, which as a Reddit user, I will say I appreciate the fact that people aren't just coming mm. on there and spamming their, their garbage, you know, not yeah. that this is garbage. This is amazing. We should be spamming everyone <laughs> right. because, but we might get lost this, in the flotsam and that would be horrible. Exactly. Exactly. I have um, similar rules in my discord because I'm yeah. like, yeah, this isn't going to turn into everyone's pet projects being spammed in every channel. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then I have a final um, email, and wow, for some reason, so got two of them. Yeah, but it, it's two emails, but they're exactly the same from the from the from the same guy. I think I think I can I can divulge this is a colleague of mine, um, <laughs> a fellow Star Trek nerd. In fact, this colleague I must uh, give special thanks to because he has recommended the I believe it's on Prime, but the series Star Trek Below Decks. Oh yeah, deck, I've watched that. I have not watched and have been told that I am in error. My life is incomplete. So <laughs> I do think you would quite enjoy it. Yeah, I I, I anticipate that I will. But um, but this uh, but Adam, thank you for your email. Uh, he sent this lovely meme, which we will probably need to put onto our Instagram. If you're not following us there, be sure to do that. Um, but uh, it's, it's, it, it's a joke where Picard says to Wesley, do you know the difference between your mother and the prime directive? I've never violated the prime directive. Oh so a, a little, um, Adam, a the little card. bit, a little bit, uh, a little bit, um, you know, Spicy. naughty. Uh, yeah. So yeah. thank you for, thank you for that very irreverent, um, <laughs> irreverent, uh, uh, um, but, uh, but, but Adam, thank you. I, I will say too, that Adam has the distinct honor of being someone who I have kicked out of our podcast, uh, for not being a lover of Wesley as much as we are. Oh, and yet yep. he still, and yet he still faithfully listens. And so, you know, thank you, Adam. Well, thanks, Adam. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do appreciate you. <laughs> we do. This is a Wesley Crusher Stan account. So yeah, I yeah. appreciate you putting up with that. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so thank you to, uh, to everyone who emailed us. This has in fact confirmed to me that, uh, we have almost as many listeners as I have fingers on my right hand. <laughs> this is remarkable. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I think when we started this, you said if we got two, you'd be really happy. Uh -huh. So yeah, look at that. You've already doubled your, your it's, hopes and dreams. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. It's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, if you and and if you have not had a chance to, you gotta you gotta check out some of the 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 cool merch on the um, 
on the Patreon page. Like, I think I might support us just so I can get one of those cool mugs. <laughs> well, I mean, babe, we can order them. No, I think I need to support our, our work. Because <laughs> if I don't believe in me, who is going to believe in me, you know? <laughs> Invest in yourself, you know? Exactly. It's true. Yeah, if you go to patreon.com slash redshirtcollective, uh-huh. we have our very cool logo, if I do say so myself, plastered uh-huh. on some very cool merch uh-huh. that you can get uh-huh. for supporting the show. Yep. I will admit, as of right now, there's no extra content there, but no, there will but there be will eventually. Be. There yeah, will be. We'll definitely do some cool stuff on there. Yep. We might be moving some of these Captain's Log supplementals to the uh, to the Patreon at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we could do something fun like uh, do an analysis of Below Decks just Oof. over there. Super fun. Maybe even on a Discord. Yeah. At some point. Yep. Yeah. So stay tuned. Yeah. yeah. Pay us now. But stay tuned. But stay, <laughs> but stay tuned. For, yeah. For extra stuff later. But yeah. in the meantime, you could get a cool sticker or a uh-huh. t-shirt or uh-huh. a hoodie. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, go check us out. Uh-huh. And uh, on Instagram, we're at Redshirt Collective Pod. And you know, I think we do pretty good work over there. Uh-huh. We're pretty funny. We're we're pretty like brilliant and also very humorous. Yeah. Yeah. And so humble. Yeah. That's the biggest thing that you get from us is how humble we are. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who emailed us. It's so fun getting fan messages. Uh-huh. And this is like, I've had, I think, three podcasts. This is my third podcast now. And it's just this moment when the project just becomes really real and you get to start engaging with people, engaging with your work. And it's so fun. So thank you. Thank you. And anyone who wants to reach out to us, please do at sauce.sep at gmail.com. That's right. I respond to every email. He does. It's uh-huh. true. And I'm going to let him. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because I forgot to put the credentials in our login sheet. So there's... <laughs> But also, I'm like, yep, you manage that. I'm happy with that. It I is manage the highlight the Instagram of my day. mostly. Yeah. So we yeah. can uh, we can split up the labor. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So thanks everyone. Uh, it's we're so early in this journey, and we're having so much fun. And hearing from all of you just makes it way more fun. So uh-huh. looking forward to the rest of this journey. Honestly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Full steam ahead. Yep. Uh, as as I sign off the emails. Welcome aboard. (laughs) Welcome aboard. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash redshirtcollective. Now, get off my ship. 